Hello and welcome to the first episode of Comp Connected, an informal podcast for third and fourth year medical students. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie White, Associate Dean for Clinical Education at Western News College of Osteopathic Medicine of the Pacific. This episode will be pretty informal as it is mostly to test out our technology and software platform and to get used to the production process. Special thanks to David Karjala, OMS4, who is helping me edit and post this first episode. The podcast is going to have two formats. The first format is what I think of as a problem-focused visit. So as a family physician, I often have quite short visits with patients to discuss a single topic. These topics could be about their disease process or preventative medicine or mental health focused. And I find I can cover a lot of information in about 10 to 18 minutes. My goal is to create two to three of these problem-focused recordings every month that address topics relevant to medical students. Sometimes they'll be really polished, and other times they will be very informal and conversational. You can listen on your commute and hopefully gather a little bit of helpful insight into a question or concern you're working through. The second format will be interview style. These will range from 45 to 60 minutes and will include program directors, experts in wellness, DEI, professionalism, medical education, and any other emerging topics. If you have a topic you'd like covered or someone you want me to interview, just email me at swite at westernu.edu and I would be happy to take lots of suggestions. Today, in this problem-focused episode, I want to bring back our concentric circles of care model and really focus on that care of self. So if you'll remember in our diversity, equity, and inclusion model, right, we talked about how healing comes from within and we talked about our inner well. So this sort of source that we draw on when we take care of our patients, our family, our children, our loved ones, our partner, We have to keep that well full in order to continue to function as a healer. And there's all different ways we do that. And when we transition from our preclinical education to the clinical education, this is in some, in some cases really like a trauma. It's so intense that transition from being in that learner role to in that healer role that you really need a ton of resources and a ton of support to make that leap into the clinical world. So today I want to focus a little bit on just a few, a few tiny little suggestions for both your physical and your mental health as you manage this transition. And, and part of why I'm covering this topic is because I've had so many late night text messages or weekend phone calls or emails saying I'm feeling overwhelmed or I sort of underestimated how physical this would be. And so I just, I just want to, first of all, just normalize that and, and reassure you that your experience is common uh, and, and almost universal, frankly. And then again, focus on a few little tools or tips or tricks that might help you navigate that. So first, I want to talk a little bit about just the physical demands of clinical education. And when I think back to my third year 
at Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine, and then again at Arrowhead Regional Medical Center when I was an intern. I think of those years as like extreme sports. Just the long hours, the concrete floors, the standing but never leaning on anything, the staying focused, the shoulders back. Like it felt like I was a ballet dancer in a insanely stressful situation and also running an obstacle course. Like it, it was such physical work and there'd be a code and they'd say like, let's run up the stairs, six stories, you know, in an old rickety hospital (laughs) and you'd get to the top and be out of breath. And then you're supposed to like make life and death decisions and do chest compressions, right? Like the work is intensely hard on your body. And then on top of it, right, you're expected to skip meals on a regular basis. You may or may not have access to water. Um, You know, you're drinking tons of caffeinated beverages because you're just trying to stay awake. So you're getting physically dehydrated. Sleep is all over the place. You know, even if you're getting technically enough hours, it may not be a rhythm that's sort of natural to your body. So if you're not a morning person and you're on a rotation that requires you to get up at 430 in the morning, like that's, you know, that's really hard. And that work is you know, it takes its toll, particularly if you have back-to-back really physically intense rotations. So like if you started in, I think I at some point had like, I had surgical ICU, then general surgery, then burn unit. It was like back-to-back-to-back-to-back. And I remember I had to get up at 3.15 in the morning, which meant I was trying to go to bed at 7.15 at night. I mean, it's just, I don't think we do a great job explaining just how physical the work is. And then to make matters worse, it's hard to imagine a more sedentary time than the first two years of medical school. So like, yeah, maybe you were good and went to the gym on a regular basis or you're like a hiker or you're healthy, you know, and you were taking care of yourself. But the bulk of your day was probably sitting in front of a computer screen, either watching pre-recorded lectures or attending live Zooms, studying off of technology particularly leading up to boards, right? You're sitting in front of a computer doing test questions. So we put you in one extremely unhealthy circumstance, which is this incredibly sedentary lifestyle, and then thrust you almost overnight into an incredibly physical scenario. So we've just created this huge shift that's really hard. And then on top of it, as a profession, we are incredibly ableist. So the expectation is, is that your body works in sort of whatever's the most normative way that you always have access to the full capacity of your body, that running up and down stairs does not cause you excruciating pain, that your body can keep up with that. And there isn't a lot of room or inclusion for people whose bodies function in a different way, move in a different way. So if you are someone whose body needs additional support for movement, for rest, for any kind of function, bowel function, you know, whatever it is, chronic pain, fitting into this incredibly challenging physical mold becomes even more difficult. So when I'm talking to my patients about lifestyle changes and care of their body, there's a lot of different conversations that come out of that. So one of those conversations was really about body image and this sort of obsession with weight loss. And that's a whole separate podcast, which we can definitely do. But I want to talk about The kind of small changes that I give to my patients, that I offer to my patients, that help them do things that are manageable and sustainable long-term. So one of the first approaches I have with my patients 
when they're saying, you know, I'm worried about my weight or I'm worried about my diabetes or I'm having chronic pain is I say something along the lines of rather than us sitting here and making a long list of all the things you're going to cut out or abstain from or avoid, what if instead we started by identifying one or two things you could add in to your life to support your body? So, of course, sugar is toxic and we should detox sugar. And, you know, of course, we could all be vegan. We could, like, create these pretty extreme or, depending on your depending on your views, not extreme lifestyle changes that, that really are about the absence of things. But that can be overwhelming. And, frankly, you know, your situation is already pretty overwhelming in this phase. So, instead, say to yourself, okay, what could I increase in my diet or in my routine that supports my body. So an easy target is vegetables, right? So this is something I talk about with my patients all the time. Walk me through a meal, describe how much protein, how much starch or carbs, how many vegetables. And I say, what do you think about adding another serving of vegetables? And they're like, yeah, you know, I could probably do that, right? So you start with just have more of that and maybe have that first. And then there may be a natural reduction in some of the protein or some of the starches, but at a minimum, you've increased the nutritional value of your food. Sometimes it's adding a little bit more water. Could you, at every meal, promise yourself you're going to drink a full glass of water? Have more water. We don't need to worry about less soda or less coffee in this moment. Let's just add more water and see how that functions in your body. Maybe it's another 30 minutes of sleep. So rather than sort of the numbing behavior of watching one more episode of Netflix, turn it off and just give yourself the gift of 30 minutes. It still may not be eight hours of sleep, but maybe instead of five and a half hours, you get six hours. Maybe it's adding in that short walk, right? A little bit more movement. But what I don't want you to add in is shame. I don't want you to add in self-judgment. And I don't want you to add in some like in really over-the-top goal around extreme, extreme diets or extreme lifestyles that you're going to have to just navigate on top of everything else you're navigating. So the first strategy is what can I add, particularly when thinking about nutrition and hydration. Another way I present that question is I say to my patients when I'm, you know, we'll talk about here's some things you can, all these different lifestyle things you can do. And then I say, why don't you start with this question? What's the easiest thing I can do right now to support my body? So rather than thinking about what is the best thing I can do or the best 30 things I can do, what's the easiest that takes the least amount of effort and that I am very very confident that I could do. So for me, I have days where it's actually pretty easy to make a home-cooked meal, or it's actually pretty easy to get in a high-intensity workout, or it's pretty easy to do, you know, whatever the sort of more kind of classic ideal is in terms of self-care. But I also have a lot of days where the easiest thing I can do is take a breath particularly in the clinical setting where I don't have a lot of privacy, I don't have a lot of time. And so I'm overwhelmed, I'm tired, I'm cranky, I'm hungry, I'm lonely, I'm whatever the thing is. And all I can do 
is fully expand my lungs, hold it for a little while and let it out. And even that is a gift I can give my body that just reduces those stress hormones, resets me a little bit, and it's just a way to take care of my body that's meaningful, right? Okay, so those two strategies. What can I add? What's the easiest thing I can do right now? So now let's shift a little bit and talk about the mental health. So, I mean, I don't even, I feel like it's pretty self-explanatory to say why everyone's mental health takes a hit in this transition. Like at a minimum, the sleep deprivation would do it. But I think it's the stress, it's the high stakes, it's the waiting for the board scores, it's the now I have to take shelf exams or now I'm in the residency process, right? There's so many high demands. Then you're in all these different situations with different people, different personalities. Sometimes there's a great fit, sometimes there's not a great fit, and you're not really feeling connected. And then you have healing work. So you're taking care of people that are in pain or that are struggling. And already some of you have shared that you've had your your first patient death and how profound that has been to see, to have a relationship with someone who then dies in the hospital and, and trying to process all of that. So of course, of course, the mental health piece is really, really important. And again, right, there are a million strategies for mental health. There are so many different things you could do. Obviously, I would love you all to have a full-time therapist. You could call anytime you want. And I'd like, you ought to be doing mindfulness stuff. Like I could think of a million things that are ideal. But just like we're talking about our physical health, I want to give you some like actual tools that are helpful and realistic. So the first one I want to talk about is just the stress of the tiny choices, right? So like every time you have to pick, what am I going to eat? Where did I put this? All those little like, should I go now or should I go later? All those like millions of little itty bitty decisions in the day each have a little bit of stress hormone with them. So I have found one way to reduce my just like basal level of stress is to automate or create a routine for everything that I can possibly automate or create a routine for, right? So I always keep my keys and my ID and my wallet in the exact same place. And even I know which pocket it is in my bag, right? Like I have a routine for when I do meal prep and how much food is stored. I always have certain snacks in my car and certain snacks in my office. I calendar everything. Every birthday is on my calendar, so I don't have to go look it up or remember. Every bill I can auto pay is auto paid, right? So all those like that just churn of stuff, anything that I can just make it take care of itself and I don't have to look for it, think about it, plan for it, decide it, I handle. And you have to look at your own life. If you have kids, if you have a partner or roommates, right, to figure out what that is for you. But start to look for what are tasks I'm doing over and over again, or what's a choice I'm having to make that's like irritating. It's usually what's for dinner, frankly. Like those decisions, as much as you can just plan them or autopilot them, that will just slough off all this excess junk that's in your day that you don't need. So point number one for mental health is create routines, minimize small choices, automate routines, patterns, rhythms, whatever you can do to reduce the teeny tiny choices that are intrusive and bothersome. The next thing I want you to think about is loneliness. So I think clinical rotations are one of the loneliest times in life. Because even though 
you're surrounded by potentially hundreds of other students having comparable experiences, you are likely on a journey that is very uniquely yours. So you're going through rotations at one hospital, then you're thrust to another one. And though you may know some people there, your individual educational journey is very unique and you can start to feel isolated and very lonely. And lonely often manifests or we we interpret it as burnout, but really what it is is loneliness. So the best tool to combat loneliness is actually not spending time with mindfulness or meditation. Those all tend to make it worse because you're still alone. So instead, what you need for your mental health is, of course, community, right? You need friends that are in it with you and friends that are not in it with you. So I have this really great balance of female and male physicians that I talk about work. I have, I've shared with you before, I have this like care team of my own that I meet with at least monthly, other docs in a similar situation. And we talk about, you know, how hard it is to be a doctor and what challenges are and what is hard about leadership, right? All of those little components. And then I have tons of friends just in completely different industries in entertainment, in law, in business. And I have also what I think of as my full disclosure friend, my, my college buddy, Amy, who I can tell absolutely anything to, no matter how embarrassing or shameful or gross. And she just has my back. And that network of people keeps me out of my loneliness, even when I'm having a lot of stress, a lot of frustration. The final little nugget I want to leave you with is the difference between stress and stressors. So I listened to this book sometime during COVID called Burnout, The Secret to the Stress Cycle by Emily Nagoski and her sister Amelia. And they, this book is awesome. I listened to it in my car back and forth from work. And one of the things that I really took away from this book is this differentiation between what is the stress and what is the stressor. So the stressor is the thing creating the stress. It's the deadline, it's the test, it's the conflict, it's, you know, whatever the the thing is that's high stakes that you have an emotional connection to. The stress is the physical experience of that. It's the chemicals, right, that actually process in our body. And we do a really good job as high-performing people of thinking about the stressors, right? We hit our deadlines, we get the report done in time, we do, we pass the test, and then we think that the stress will just vanish on its own. And that's not actually true. That what happens is, particularly in the case of burnout, if we just live from stressor to stressor, so big deadline, big test, board exam, shelf exam, shelf exam, shelf exam, board exam, without actually completing the stress cycle in our body, that starts to wear at our immune system, our neurological system, our cardiovascular system. And we have to actually get that physical stress out, even when the conflict is over. Now, this book is great and has lots of different suggestions, but I'll just share this one. The most efficient way to process the stress is with movement. It's really exercise. And the higher intensity the stress the higher intensity the movement needs to be in order to process that stress. It doesn't really matter what the movement is, as long as you are physically getting rid of those chemicals in your body that are left over. So not only do you get to celebrate, I passed the shelf exam, but you need to go for a long walk or do a workout or ride a bike or be in nature, whatever the thing is to process out that stress. So those are my, those are my three, my three things for the mental health is Reduce choices as much as you can. Automate your life. 
Loneliness is dangerous, so build a community. And make sure you're being attentive to not just the stressor, but the actual underlying stress, okay? So putting that all together, physical health, what can I add to nourish my body? And what's the easiest thing I can do? For mental health, reduce small choices, fight back against loneliness, and complete the stress cycle. And take care of yourselves as best as you reasonably can in the churn of all of this. I am going to take care of myself by going on vacation for two weeks at the end of August with my family for the first time in like five years. I'm really excited. And so I hope I can leave you with this little preview of our our new podcast. And I have lots of students who are going to be helping uh, and contributing. So I'm looking forward to having episodes that are relevant to you and helpful to you and that we don't have to pack into a conference week. So hang in there. You're doing a great job. I'm super proud of you. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of Comp Connected. Good luck out there.